0: I, uh, along with the the clarity and um, glad outlook, John, of your explanation, I, I I also appreciated what you said before that, and, uh, whether whether meaning to or not, this picture of what you experienced last week of shrinking Matt next to the text, uh, that is uh, something that I want us all to do. Uh, every week and that's something that I want us to do this week as well that's a good picture to have in mind love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you those were some of Jesus words last week he he called is true listeners to give even to the kind of person who has no intention of giving back to you. Maybe to the kind of person that you really only expect to take from you when you put yourself in a vulnerable position around them. He told us to give freely as a child of the Father who freely gives who certainly, uh, as, the, as the God who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, can certainly be relied upon to give graciously and generously to his own children as well. When you hear Jesus say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, does that, does that make your head swim a little bit? When you hear Jesus illustrate that, with uh, give to everyone who begs of you. When somebody strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. Do you, do you find yourself a little dizzied by what Jesus says? It, it's not our normal way, is it? It's not, it's not the normal human way of, of doing transactions, doing business with other people. It, it takes... Uh, more than a more than a human enabled adjustment does it sound when Jesus says that like it's just not going to work like it'll backfire on you We have our own way right our own natural way of doing human interaction with people we have our own version of what Jesus says in luke six twenty seven to twenty eight we have things like Defeat your enemies. Frustrate the plans of those who hate you. Shame those who curse you. Alienate those who abuse you. None of that has to be done in the name of getting revenge. None of it has to be done with sort of an evil cackle, like, I'm going to make them pay. It can all be done... All of those versions frustrate the plans of those who hate you, shame those who curse you, prove them wrong publicly. All of that can be done, uh, at least in our minds, with an idea of, I just need to protect myself. I need to take care of myself. And if a little bit of revenge happens in the process, well, uh, maybe I'll savor that, but it's not going to be the thing that I'm after. And of course, our version of Jesus' teaching, shame those who curse you, alienate those who abuse you, of course, that always works out really well, doesn't it? Always works out exactly like we expect it to. It always puts us in that place of security and of safety that we expect that it will. It never backfires, except when it does. So, if we're going to treat Jesus' words, even if we find them foreign to us, if we're going to treat Jesus' words as the solid rock on which we stand, if we're going to adopt the new value system that Jesus brings to us, how are we going to do that? How how do we truly adopt, how do we truly live out, live by what Jesus has told us to do in last week's passage in Luke 6. Jesus is going to tell us in this week's passage. He's not going to tell us new things to do. He's going to tell us what it takes in order to do what He's already told us to do. He's going to to frame it for us in two ways. How, How do you take on this new way of doing life and interacting with people that Jesus has given us? Two ways He's going to describe it. By seeing, pardon me, try not to keep fighting with this. We do it by seeing well and by being good. That might strike you as foreign as well, but that's very close to the very words that Jesus uses. And what he means by that will become clear. It's often not what we mean when we say be good. Nevertheless, we'll see in verses 39 through 42 that Jesus is going to to tell us about the need to see well, to see life differently, very differently than we see it, then he's going to call us to be good in verses 43 through 49. Turns out it's a lot more than a task list. When, we talk, when Jesus calls us to be good, he's not just calling us to do the good things on a list that he's given us. He's calling us to do something that will force us to dig deep and not simply deep within ourselves. He's going to call us to dig deep past the sand of normal human rules to the rock that in the end is the rock of God's trustworthy character. The rock that actually turns out to be Jesus himself. In the end, when Jesus calls us to see well and to do good, in the end, what he's calling us to do is, is to trust him. And the kinds of things that he calls us to do leave us really with no other choice. Each person that takes seriously the words of Jesus is either going to push back against them and ultimately reject him, or push in to the good news of who he is and find their security in him. And Jesus draws us in there by calling us to see well and to be good, none of which, comes to any of us naturally, and all of which is offered to us in Jesus alone. That's where we're going in Luke six, verses thirty nine through forty nine. Before I go any further I want to read the text. Luke six, thirty nine through forty nine. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Every one who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. We all have some way of getting where we hope to go in life, of getting life to work in the way that we hope that it will work. And there are lots of voices that will offer to get you there. Some of them are just, some of them we see in the form of clickbait, right? Follow this one tip for whatever it is. Losing 40 pounds in three days or something like that. Silly things like that. There are other tips that are offered to us in much more subtle and much more powerful ways. Things like shame those who curse you. We might not even be told those things. Maybe we're just shown those things. It's your job. The 11th commandment, in a sense, is to make sure that you watch out for yourself. Make sure that you are never taken advantage of. At all costs, make sure that you're okay. You have a way of making sense of life and getting life to work that you're getting from somewhere, probably from multiple places. So am I. And whatever that is, whatever that way of making sense of life is, you're not only getting from somewhere, it is getting you somewhere also. It's taking you somewhere. And the stakes are high. Jesus tells us that in verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The counsel that is readily offered to us by this world is in the end blind and it takes us to destruction so how do you know you're going where you want to end up how do you know that how reliable are your directions and is there an option that's better than ending up in a pit with those that you're following there is of course or we wouldn't be here and Jesus hints at it in verse 40. He will become abundantly clear, but there's a hint in verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So you and I will follow someone, and when you follow someone, the natural result is that you end up where they're taking you, either in a pit with that person or joining that person in leading other people to safety. So the point of verses 39 and 40 is to follow someone that you know can see. You have to find that person. Find the person that you know can see. Listen to him. Let him guide you. And he will lead you to the safety that you and I would never find on our own. He'll lead you somewhere infinitely better than the pit. He'll lead you away from the place that your blindness and my blindness would take us. And he'll do more. He will not only protect you from your blindness, he will help you to see. And through you, he will help others to see. We see this starting in verse 41. What causes our blindness? Here, Humanity is pictured as blind, following the blind. What causes our human blindness to remain? What makes our blind spots stick? Well, we might say, well, that's just the nature of blind spots. You can't see a blind spot, especially if you're blind. It's just a self-defeating problem, right? Maybe that's true of natural blind spots. Spiritual blind spots are even more insidious than that. The way that Jesus describes it here is to say that we're stuck not seeing because of what we do see. Look at, look at verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? One of the key reasons that we think we can see is that we see other people's failure to see. There, there's a lifetime worth of distractions from our own blindness in looking at other people's failures, in other, at other people's blindness, at other people's blind spots. You can see what that person's missing or failing to understand or ignoring, and when you look at them, you can see why. Why? You can tell just by looking. You can tell why that person's wrong, right? Here's a person who's maybe a person who troubles you or or who troubles other people, and you can tell just by looking what the problem is, right? She's just self-centered. They just need to take more personal responsibility. He's just arrogant. It's obvious, right? You can tell just by looking. And, of course, you can see clearly can tell, right? What is each one of those things? She's just self-centered. They just need to take more personal responsibility. He's just arrogant. What is each one of those things? It's a judgment. In a sense, it's a final judgment, right? It's the end of the story as far as your evaluation of that person. Every evaluation of a person that ends there ends without hope. For that person. It, it, every, every judgment like that expresses no love for enemies. It doesn't do any good for those who hate you. It offers zero blessing. It probably does zero real praying because what do you need to pray for? They just need to be less self-centered or less arrogant or less irresponsible. Every single time we miss an opportunity to love enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, and really pray for those who abuse us, we leave on the table powerful choices that Jesus has given us that don't come to us naturally as humans that bring real life into a broken world. We leave them on a table untouched. And we do it because we think we see clearly and all the while thinking that we see clearly Jesus says we have a log in our own eye. Because we're blind on our own naturally left to ourselves we're blind on our own. because we're blind on our own we can't see the blindness of others clearly. So Actually, look at at the picture here closely that, that Jesus gives us. Jesus doesn't say, first get the speck out of your own eye. Your brother has a speck in his eye. Get the speck out of your own eye first. He doesn't say that's what our problem is. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? That's what's actually there. So the problem that we have is actually worse, naturally, left to ourselves. The, the problem of my own natural blindness is worse than the little blind spots that I see in other people. If I really have a log, this is a, this is a term that's used for the main beam in a house. If I really have that in my eye, How do I manage to get that out of my eye in such a way that I can actually see clearly afterwards? It's not just going to pop out, right? I'm not just going to pull this thing out of my eye and then be able to do uh, careful, delicate uh, optometry work. That's not going to happen. What we see in this passage over and over again, at least hidden in each of the pictures that Jesus gives us, is this is not something that we can do on our own. I am dependent on a better teacher. I'm dependent on the one who can see, the one who can lead me, the one who can deal with my blindness to take this beam out of my eye if it's going to happen in such a way that I can actually see. I can't do it on my own. I need a new teacher. I need someone who will lead me somewhere better than I would otherwise go. and when that happens, when I come to him, when I say, I'm blind, I need you to lead me, I need you to help me see differently, I need you to help me to see people differently, differently than my normal judging and condemning and criticizing and only seeing people in ways that are convenient to me, I need you to change me. Jesus says, as you follow me, You will actually become a part of what I'm doing. He he doesn't end with take the log out of your own eye. That's often where we end, isn't it? Get the log out of your own eye. It's not the end for Jesus here. He calls us into something even more than that. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye you will have an opportunity when Jesus helps you to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's, out of your sister's eye. Uh, You look around and you see people that are selfish. You see people that do need to be more responsible. You see people that are arrogant. And when Jesus helps you to see, he helps you to see more clearly, much more clearly, so much more clearly that you can actually help deal with the speck in your brother's or sister's eye with proper precision and care and delicacy so that you can actually approach your selfish sister, and she will actually stand still long enough to let you help her with the real speck in her eye. Uh, if you think it's just selfishness, then you might tell her, you know, I can't, I can't, you're not even going to let me near. You just need to go, go somewhere and, and deal with it, get rid of it. You need to stop it. She is selfish, probably. Uh, we know that from our own personal experience, that I haven't gotten over it yet. When you see clearly, you begin to see uh, that speck more clearly. She's selfish. She's also, perhaps, afraid. Maybe your sister has grown up hearing from the time she was young, get it right. Be good enough. If you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, then at any given point, your life could end in disaster. And if it does, you will have nobody to blame but yourself. Maybe your sister has heard that message from the time that she was young. Maybe she's heard it in those words. Maybe she's just heard it demonstrated, and she's gone through life afraid. And when you put off judging and condemning long enough to hear that part of the story, you have something real to work with. All of a sudden, here's your sister, and she's she's willing to uh, she 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 has shared with you something more precise about what's actually going on in her life something that comes out simply looking like selfishness, but it's actually fear, and you have some idea where that fear is coming from. And you have the opportunity to bring good news to bear. You have the opportunity to say, let's let's get this thing out of your eye. You've walked through life with this painful and blinding lie at work in you, and it doesn't have to be there any longer. You can start moving away from it. And you have the opportunity delicately, sensitively, precisely to help take this speck out of your sister's eye. may look like arrogance in your brother. It may be something more precise. I don't want to fall into a pit. I know you don't either. I don't want to lead others into one. I, I don't want to be blind to my own blindness. And I want to help other people to see well. So how do I get there? It actually goes even deeper. Jesus doesn't only lead us to safety while we're blind. He deals with our blindness. He doesn't only deal with our blindness. He helps us to to help other people with their blindness. And Jesus presses in even further. It turns out that the problem is even deeper than blindness. It has something to do with more than our eyes. It has to do with our hearts. It goes all the way to the control panel of our person. It's about who we are inside. See, spiritual blindness works differently from physical blindness. Physical blindness keeps you from seeing what you want to see. Spiritual blindness keeps you only seeing what you want to see. And so Jesus goes deeper to not only the way we see, but to who we are and to what we treasure. Look at verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What makes good things show up in the life of a living thing? Whether it's a person or a plant, what causes good things to come out of that living thing? Well, being good. If it's a good plant, good things come out of it. If it's a bad plant, thorns come out of it. And Jesus extends that from plants to people. And he says, if there is good inside of you, then good will come out. And if there's evil inside of you, then evil will come out. The good person Out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Jesus intends to help us see by his words, and he intends to do more than that. Jesus intends to make us good, to make us the kind of people who treasure good inside in such a way that good comes out for others as well and he does that by his words also <clears throat> where does that show up the, the the good treasure that come or the good fruit that comes out of the good treasure of somebody's heart how can you how can you see whether that is becoming true of you where does the overflow of treasure come out first jesus tells us we saw this in the passage in James that we read earlier. This is at the end of verse 45. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. This is the first place where the, the things that we most treasure in our hearts show up. In our words. In what we say. So the phrase, I'm just saying, in the end, has, has no place uh, in Jesus' teaching. He would say, when it really comes down to it, we're never just saying. We're expressing the overflow of what we treasure. And your words have the power to direct the course of other people's lives. Those words will be determined by what you have stored up inside of yourself. So that immediately leads us to the question, how do we store up inside of ourselves the kind of treasure that will lead other people to life through our words? Well, we do it by following those kinds of words, by following the words that come out of stored up good treasure. This is exactly where Jesus is going to take us. He's going to say, You store up good treasure in your heart in order to do good for others by doing my words. That's where he's going to go next in verses 46 through 49. He knows that his listeners are at risk of missing the power of his words. So he he gives us another why do you. He he exposed us once in asking, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? And now he exposes our natural tendencies again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? We know a couple of the answers. We've actually seen them in the text in Luke. Uh, Someone might well address him as Lord, Lord, in pursuit of healing alone. I've got this withered hand, I just want it healed, and then I'm satisfied. And they might call him Lord, Lord, just to get that done. They might come and hear him just because they're curious. What Jesus introduced as a hint in verse 40, disciple isn't above his teacher, really becomes crystal clear now. Jesus isn't here simply as a useful healer or as an interesting philosopher. He's here to transform you. He's here to transform us. And curious listening alone won't do us any good. When Jesus' words come, when Jesus comes speaking, when Jesus comes calling us to act on his words, we've seen his words are the winnowing fork that separates the wheat from the chaff, that separates those who truly trust him from those who really just hope to find him useful. His words can't be responded to neutrally. And so Jesus says, you actually need to follow me. I see clearly and I'll show you the way to go. I will train you. My words will change you as you hear my words, and you choose to put my words into action, those words will store up inside of you the good treasure that you see in me and hear from me. He's given us what those words are, a summary of his words, a summary of what to do. We read that all the way back in verses 27 and 28. Here's what, here's what Jesus calls us to do. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. We have opportunities to do that, even with people who abuse us in little ways. Maybe it's, maybe it's on the way home from church when everybody's tired and hungry and somebody looks at you sideways or says something that's not quite sensitive Pray for those who abuse you. What happens when you do that? Some of you have done that before, right? You've taken, you've taken on this exact thing. Somebody troubles you and you don't know what to do and you feel bewildered, but you've said, I am going to pray for this person. Maybe it's the person that's on your three by five card. Maybe that person troubles you and it makes it a little bit hard to really want to share Christ with them. What happens to you when you begin to pray for that person? When you begin to ask God to bring good into that person's life, when you begin to ask God to bless that person, you're transformed, at least a little bit. Your heart toward that person begins to soften. You begin to store up good treasure in your heart toward that person. Jesus says, don't. Don't judge, don't condemn. In other words, instead of looking for reasons to punish people, look for reasons to do good to people. When, when you choose to look for reasons to do good for someone, perhaps you listen to the side of a story that's not convenient for you. You say, there, there's, there's more to what's going on here. I want to look for good for this person. I have to hear more about their perspective When you listen to the side of a story that's not convenient for you, often that side of the story turns out to be good news, or at least to open the door to good news that you can bring into that person's life. Maybe it is you find that your selfish friend is deeply afraid, and you have the opportunity to speak Christ to them where they are. When you give to the one who is only likely to take from you, what happens to you? Jesus tells us. This is not a task list. This is heart formation. When you give to the one who is only likely to take from you, you dig deep. Not inside yourself. You dig deep beyond the sand of your natural reflexes to something solid. Verses 47 and 48. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. As we do Jesus' words here, his words that have no place inside a normal human economy, we dig deep to the rock of God's trustworthy character that is for us. In the end, we dig deep to the rock of God's trustworthy character revealed in Jesus Christ. Revealed in Jesus Christ in his person and in his finished work by which he purchased and guaranteed security and life for us, his people. There's really no way to sustain doing good for those who hate you than to know that the one you at one time hated did good to provide life. For you, life that's guaranteed. And as you do good for those who hate you, you you dig deep and experience the reliability of what Jesus has done for you. So that for this person who's built on this rock, when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Here's a person who is hungry and says, I'm blessed because I know that I'll be satisfied. Here's a person who is persecuted for the sake of righteousness who says, I stand on a rock on which I have good reason to leap for joy because I know that my reward is great and no abuse can take that away from me. <clears throat> what Jesus has said here to draw people into the good news of the kingdom, to draw them Into the gospel, Paul reflects in Romans 12. I just want to close with these words. Jesus does this to draw us into the gospel. Paul says it in response to the gospel. Very similar words in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he illustrates that in verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves naturally build on sand in such a way that when the floods come, uh, the house that we built cannot stand. It falls, and great is its fall. And we will take others with us. We thank you that there is a solid rock to build on, a rock that is not of ourselves, a rock that comes from you, by which we can build securely by which we can extend that security to others. We thank You for the gift of Your Son. And we pray in His name. Amen.